Welcome to Nature Back podcast of Single Earth. In this series, we are talking with investors about their vision of the new green world. My name is Tarmo Virki, and in this episode, I'm speaking with uh, Alex Konopliasti from Flashpoint Ventures. Enjoy the show. Hi, Alex. Welcome to uh, Nature Back podcast. Tell us a few words about Flashpoint to start off with. Where was Flashpoint born? Dharma, thank you. It's a great pleasure. Thank you for having me and inviting me to uh, this uh, interesting discussion. Um, uh, by way of brief introduction, so I'm Alex. I'm co-founder and managing partner of Flashpoint. Uh, I am Ukrainian-Russian by origin. I was born in Kiev. Um, so in the current environment, I'm sort of in a bit of a, a peculiar position. Um, uh, and as we've been talking, you know, the world being upside down, uh, I think... Uh, that's exactly how it feels right now. Um, uh, I have, um, after university, I have uh, got a job at Morgan Stanley in London. Uh, and uh, afterwards, I have worked at UBS. Um, I have been always focusing and working uh, for um, basically um, do, do, doing telecomedian technology uh, in my professional career as an investment banker. So I've been buying companies, selling companies, taking companies public. I've done a lot of these. Um, and then after a financial crisis in 08, uh, I thought that, you know, it's um, become a bit uh, uh, boring, uh, but also I have become a director uh, at where I was. Um, so I, I started thinking about, you know, doing my own thing. Uh, and um, I have a friend, and today my partner, Michael, uh, who we went to university together. Michael is Hungarian. So we shared the dormitory room and we've known each other for like 25 years now. So Michael had a similar professional background working for, um, you know, finance and uh, private equity. And similarly, he started feeling that, you know, uh, we have enough expertise and knowledge and have made some, some capital uh, to basically maybe do something, something ourselves. And Flashpoint started uh, with us investing our own money into a startup that was doing insurance price comparison. Uh, for uh, online insurance. So that was like the first investment done. We've done it with our own money. Uh, today, Flashpoint manages about 450, 500 million assets under management. We are a, an international uh, uh, company uh, focusing on uh, investing into technology companies at various cycles of their development. So originally, we started with venture capital and uh, uh, and uh, over time, we basically realized that you know, similar to our previous background, when we meet a company at early stage, and today we're meeting about several thousand of these companies every year, if you do only venture capital, you build a relationship with this founder, you spend time with him, you try to help him, even before you give him money on pro bono basis, you try to, you know, help him and stay close to him and build this relationship, which might turn into like a marriage and partnership, you know, also financially. Uh, but um, if you have only one product, venture capital product, it's a bit illogical because you've spent all this time all uh, building this relationship and you had only one chance to give him money. To me, when I was a Morgan Stanley banker, I could do M&A, IPO, I could do bonds, I can do brokerage, I can do loans, I can do so many things. So I build a relationship with the company and then I can give 15 different types of advice or service to the company. Here you have only one. So that felt a little bit illogical. And we decided that we want to do more products. So we have we have launched uh, two more products so far, two more strategies. 
launched venture debt strategy, which comes uh, after our venture capital strategy. Mm-hmm. So they don't compete for, against each other. So venture capital is an early stage capital for companies at the early stages of development. Venture debt is the next stage where you have already raised venture capital money, etc. So you can afford and you're the kind of the development where you can do venture debt. And then also we have a secondary liquidity fund aimed at even later stage uh, to enable uh, people like ourselves, because one thing that we felt that, you know, when you're an early investor, you know, people are, it's very hard to sell your stake. So you've been an investor for eight years, let's say, or 10 years in the company, it's been way too long, and the company still didn't find your exit, right? And we manage, you know, other people's money. We have investors who give money to, to manage, so we have fiduciary duties to them. We must exit at some point, right? Mm-hmm. We cannot stay forever, but unfortunately. Uh, so, uh, and there's like very little... Uh, number of people if any who are actively doing this like liquidity like cleaning up you know the market so to say so we decided to, to also do this product we have some more product ideas and then flashpoint today we are uh, a team of about 30 people we have offices in riga warsaw budapest mm-hmm. tel aviv and we support founders originating out of eastern europe doing business internationally Mm. Just by way of brief introduction, sorry. Mm. No, no worries, no worries at all. It kind of gives a uh, context quite nicely. Um, how many companies you kind of involved today? Um, how many investments in your portfolio? Thank you. So, so far, we have in general since 2012 when we launched, we have supported about 50 companies. Uh, we have done about uh, 11 exits out of them. Uh, we have uh, lost maybe one or two companies, uh, which were like very early stage. So we had a couple of uh, write-offs uh, only. Uh, and then today we managed a portfolio of about 40 companies okay. uh, for zero. Uh, and they, most of them are, uh, so they're all united by the fact that they, the founders are originating from small countries of Eastern Europe and Israel. Uh, so what unites them is that these are very small markets, domestic markets, so you cannot build a company inside such markets as you could do in Germany or France or some other place. So you are you must do uh, several things. You need to try and scale your product outside, so you need to build sales and marketing outside your geography. You need to understand you know, what product you need to build because customers have different you know, preferences right, outside your home market, so you need to explore that. You need to hire people uh, outside your home uh, geography, which is sometimes challenging because you don't speak the language as well. You have cultural differences, right? So you need to build it and you need to raise capital outside of your geography. So all of these founders, they're united by these common problems. And we as an investor, at the time when we come in, these are the, this is the set of problems that we're focusing on to help the founder, not only just giving him money, but stay close to him and help him on a daily basis solve these challenges and think about these problems, how to, you know, build the company. Mm. I mean, uh, very very much true. Um, you know, launching companies out of Estonia, you kind of understand that you have to be born global, otherwise it's kind of pointless. Uh, and that should happen, yeah. That's absolutely true, yes. And then, um, I, and then I think our DNA... Um, has been because you know we've we've grown up in these international organizations, organizations that historically have been built. Uh, in, in the only way to build a large international corporation like Morgan Stanley, you can build it only on values, right? So uh, otherwise, it's very difficult. So within my DNA, and, you know what we've experienced as professionals uh, in, the, in those careers was this, you know, DNA of international uh, sort of corporation building, right? Uh, 
um, these values. And I think a lot of these values come to the core of Flashpoint. So for us, you know, um, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's very much important that uh, there are, uh, you know, building blocks in, in, in your work that, that determine what and how and when you do. And for that matter, we also like thing to mention is that we also, our strategy is very much uh, also uh, tailored towards that. So there are a lot of things that we don't invest in. Uh, so for us, uh, the areas we're investing are very important. For example, we don't do lending, right? We don't do any lending because I personally feel that giving people like, you know, weekly loans or monthly loans at the 50% interest rate, it's not good for, for us, right? So we, 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 we don't want that. So we don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we've never, like, there's been a boom of, like, marijuana and, like, all of this health sort of stuff. We don't do that. We don't think it's uh, right for us to be doing that. We don't do any, like, gambling. We don't, we don't even do gaming uh, mm-hmm. um, because, you know, we think that uh, we want to be investing in supporting companies and founders you know, whose mission is to, you know, uh, change the world for the better, right? And, uh, and, uh, and where there is like fundamentally, uh, fundamental value in what you're doing. So for that matter, for example, we've been investing a lot in education. So we have um, a, a maybe like a 10 companies out of these 50 that we supported there in education. Mm-hmm. We have a number of companies in healthcare. Uh, we supported a whole lot of companies around that. We've been investing in companies that are supporting um, one company out of Finland uh, that is uh, doing third-party logistics for them, ESG and environmental friendliness and CO2 uh, savings, et cetera, is quite important for what they're doing. So we've been, uh, and we actually have uh, several companies in, in, in like this domain of like logistics delivery, mm. uh, making sure that, you know, uh, we shops we, we on emissions and all of that stuff. Mm. So for us, these domains... Although we don't have uh, like an articulated strategy around ESG, uh, but for us, inadvertently, this was always um, we we, um, we we're discussing actually right now because the way we make decisions also is that we have like a scoring uh, scoring system. So we work in a way like a bank. So when we look at the situation, in order to analyze it, we need to fill in the scoring. We need to collect the data. So we're thinking about adding like an ESG score uh, to the scoring. Uh, but in general, for us. Um, uh, this this thing is important. Another thing which I think is important to mention uh, in our discussion about like sustainability is that I think it's it's important not only you know in what you are investing but also like what you're doing right as a, as an investor in the company. And for for that matter, I think for us, you know, the way we see ourselves is that uh, we are helping to build corporations. For us, corporate governance, transparency, reporting, these things, they're super, super important, right? A lot of the founders from our geography, because a lot of them are first-time founders, so they don't have as much experience. They've never built companies in their life. Also, they come from like geographies that are historically have not been as high on corporate governance, right? And a lot of these people, by way of their education and work, they haven't had this exposure Mm. or experience in general how to build and what are the perspectives. I'm not necessarily saying that the West is good, the East is bad. I'm just saying there are different perspectives, right? If you have had many perspectives, then you can make your own picture and decide for yourself what is good and what is evil and which way you should be going, right? So I think we, ha- we I feel like we have a lot of this uh, picture that we are bringing to the organization to help. You know, a lot of companies have gone through, from, you know, very small scale to now having like, 
you know, audit committees. So I'm like, for example, in one of the companies, I'm chairman of the audit committee, the company is like pre-IPO company. So they never had anything like that, right? But now there is an audit committee, there is a procedure, uh, there are rules, there are regulations that you need to take to ensure transparency and governance of what you're doing. So for us, this is um, super important. The other thing to mention here um, is that um, we've been all like over these 10 years uh, for us, for me personally, uh, being part of the uh, like local ecosystem and helping the local communities in whichever way possible is very important. So we've been working, uh, we've been, uh, we've, we, 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 in, for that matter, we work a lot with like local early stage investors, incubators, accelerators, angels. We produce a lot of content. We produce a lot of tools. We organize our events. So we proliferate and we want the entrepreneurship in this region to prosper we want because for us this is very important that there are many of these like people who are that's one of the reasons why we do we are very focused on the scouting program we have relaunched and relaunched again so we're trying to make sure that our scouting program works we want to engage many people into mm. this work we want to make sure that we um, we're actively involved mm. we started working with local universities uh, because i think that uh students and helping students uh is very important because for them uh, you know, they are basically only starting and a lot of them don't have an understanding, you know, which way to go, etc. But we do want to support technical students out of universities. So we're starting to launch, you know, some you know smaller vehicles for like super early stage. Mm. Um, and then lastly to mention, uh, we just announced, uh, well, we're in the process of announcing, so you will be one of the first ones to know. But we, um, we've been also like in the, in the current Ukrainian war, We've been quite uh, spending a lot of time, you know, protecting not only our relatives uh, who are who've become victims of this war, uh, but also many employees of our companies because you know our companies companies employ about two and a half, three thousand people, right? So it's a lot of people are employed by our companies, and uh, uh, just by virtue of um, you know geography, a lot of them, of course, have offices in Ukraine and Russia. Mm-hmm. A lot of developers. So we've been helping a lot of these people. There are hundreds of people who got stuck and who are who need help. So mm-hmm. we, as an organization, and personally, we've been helping both Ukrainians uh, suffering with different types of aid, etc., but also trying to you know help these developers and these their families to uh, to you know get out of the of the conflict area. Mm-hmm. Um, so and and on all of that basis, we decided to launch. Uh, an initiative which we're calling Flashpoint Cares, um, which we're about to launch. Um, and this initiative will aim to systemize our work around these areas, helping local communities, education, and health and safety. So we as Flashpoint, we want to be doing, you know, not we do a lot of things, but maybe a little bit sporadically today. Mm. I want to organize everything into a more streamlined strategy where we have an approach where we systemically, along these lines, we are helping, uh, um, you know, these people. Mm. That's very, very cool. We all try to do an, on some level, of course, that. the uh, How do you see the uh, the kind of this effect of world going crazy, the, the war, the energy prices? all of that to maybe the new uh, iron curtain in the Europe or something like that. How do you see this impacting the uh, the kind of green scene? Uh, is it, uh, I mean, I think last winter we had at least at some time when 
carbon and the sustainability were kind of on top of the agenda for a lot of Europe. Today, uh, seems all the headlines are about the war. Do you think it will kind of um, turn this somehow yeah. wrong way? I think uh, in general, and it's not only connected like maybe directly to the war, uh, but in general, I think the trend of the last like uh, you know several decades, uh, I think has been there. There's been like two two large drivers uh, of the like you know overall global social agenda. One is proliferation of internet and awareness of people. Right, so you have a billion people living in Africa. You have several billion people living in like Asia who live in very, very poor communities, right? People live beyond the level of poverty that we in Europe, like even can think about, right? Not even like imagine, because in the UK, they just announced that because of the energy prices, you know, there will be 5 million whole households that will go sort of, and they, they phrased it very interesting, below the level of like, uh, like energy poverty or something. Right, but it is these are households who are making like five thousand pounds a month, right? Or like three thousand pounds a month, and they're going to like some level of poverty. They forget that in Africa, a lot of people live like a dollar a month and don't have anything. So, what internet changes uh, and what technology changes is that these people become aware, right? That you know there is another two billion people living much, much better than they do, right? With, with the war happening, and we've seen this uh, with the immigration crisis in Europe, when Libya happened, Syria happened, all of these like you know conflicts started happening. You know how do you fight uh, escalating conflict, social unrest? You put people on boats, right? You just put people on boats, so you know there is less escalation of un- and unrest in these local like countries, right? So I think in general, and, and that's what we're roughly seeing right now with the Ukrainian and Russian conflict, is you have like. Five million people escaping this like war zone, right? Will they come back? We don't know what's going to happen to them. But that that's a huge immigration wave of people who don't have homes, don't have money, don't have anything. They just escape. A lot of them do, of course, but a lot of them don't. So there is a whole lot of this like immigration. Of course, in Russia, many people who are like finally realize that they they disagree. They're fleeing the country in like hundreds of thousands, if not like you know, million people are leaving to Dubai, Europe, like wherever they can leave, wherever they can get access to their like savings and just to escape from all this nonsense and not be part of it, right? Because a lot of people don't support what's going on. They don't want to go to jail for their views, but they escape, right? Uh, I mean, like myself. I mean, in 2015 after Crimea, I decided that they don't want to do anything with Russia at all. We don't do any business in Russia. Like we don't do anything there. After 2015, it was a very strict decision for us. Um, so I think that in general, like driven by internet and commun- world of communications, a lot of people, not only because of the war, but in general, there will be a lot of this like social like happening, right? Because people realize that they're poor, somebody lives better than them for whatever. We've seen a lot of this like rising in the last years in the US, right? You have a lot of this like right wings appearing, a lot of this nationalistic movement, a lot of protection. A lot of people are now saying that globalism is over, right? Because people and businesses are not so secure to outsource production to China, to India, to somewhere else, right? So they want production be in the US. Yes, it would be more expensive, but, you know, they want to control and make sure there are no disruptions of these, like, because in COVID as well, it's a good example. Countries were closing down differently, right? There was no unison of, like, who's doing what, even now. Like, if you look at Australia, 
they went like ballistic, like closed down everything. Some countries said, oh, no COVID, like Sweden, they like, you know, like some other countries that said, listen, you know, it's okay. We'll get by somehow. People will get sick anyway. People will, and it's like, it's hard to make any conclusions now, but I think that a lot of this stuff will be changing globalization. So the, the global trends are changing for sure. So changing globalization, rise in poverty, a lot of rise in like social unrest, nationalism, swing to the right. Uh, so a lot of these trends we're seeing and like Russia, Ukrainian conflict in my mind, it's also the outburst out of all of these trends that have been like developing. On one hand, um, uh, and then on the other hand, I think that uh, I think that uh, in general, Europe is in a bit of a tricky position because it's like it's in the middle, and also it's gone through its own like development uh, because you know we just had Brexit. Uh, European economy is aging, right? So people are aging. You need new workforce. Countries have been protective against immigration. You know, Brexit actually kicked out a lot of Eastern Europeans or like Europeans out of the country. You know, mm -hmm. all of a sudden, uh, people had to leave. And you know, in, in the UK right now, it's a it's a big problem, right? There are no like jobs, right? People are there are no workers. You know, you have truck driver, you have, you have tons of industries, sectors like you're doing construction. You don't have, you cannot import goods from Italy anymore because you know they're stuck on customs for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. There is a lot of this disruption happening. Mm -hmm. So I think Europe is in particularly in a, in a tricky position, and also with, with the conflict of Russia Ukraine, I think it's uh, you know it's even more so peculiar because of the dependence on uh, energy and uh, you know all of this stuff. So the bill is going to rise, and you know what Europeans are going to do. It's uh, I mean, it could be there could be a scenario where you know, uh, you know, once the war is hopefully over and peace uh, settles, uh, that uh, Ukraine could be one of these factors for unification of Europe, and people will say, okay, let's support European countries. Here is like a Marshall Plan after the Second World War, right? Here is half a trillion euros. We print them for EU companies. Here's here's the money. Go like let's reconstruct Ukraine, right? It's good for Ukraine, but it's also good for Europe because then, you know, a lot of these companies, they take money home and there is like finance growth that was actually not spent on, kept it on stock markets after like after mm -hmm. the oil crisis, all this liquidity went to stock market. And that's what, you know, we, that's why we've been having like this bubble, uh, you know, popping up there. If it's like, we're constructing bridges, roads and, you know, stuff like that, they don't need to be buying them. They just need to go and build them, like rebuild them. But it's European capital for European companies, et cetera, or some contractors. It could be, it could be. And then the last thing to mention, maybe, sorry for, for like, um, uh, the last thing to mention, I think that uh, there is, like, people in the time, at the times of shock, at the time of crisis, people start behaving differently. So our analysis today is, of course, we say, oh, it's all bad, you know, this crisis, the war, you know. So today it seems, like, terrible and awful. But people adjust differently, right? So mm -hmm. people say, okay, energy prices are going up. Okay, I'll not take a ride on, I, I, I don't own Range Rover anymore. I'll own a cheap car. And by the way, I'm going to walk to work, right? I'm going to ride the bike to work. And all of a sudden, the, you know, the energy spend shrinks, right? So we don't know how the consumer is going to adjust to this like terrible shock that is happening around the energy. Maybe they adjust in a way that we don't expect today. And maybe, you know, it's not going to be so bad as we, like, expected, right? Mm -hmm. And we've seen historically, people do adjust to the, in a shock situation. When it's gradual, it's sort of okay. But mm -hmm. when it's, like, shock, 
people tend to like change their behavior, behavior. Yeah. Uh, similar to COVID, right? Mm -hmm. COVID hit, people stopped traveling, people stopped doing their yeah. usual routines, Zoom appeared, right? People changed their behavior, we don't meet each other anymore, exactly. we talk on Zoom. Yeah, I think that was part of the Zoom business plan, right? It was actually built into their growth projections. They, they were actually doing it, um, not seriously. But the uh, I wanted to ask you about the kind of the bigger picture question about the East Europe. Uh, to me, uh, it tends to be that many of the East European startups are, you know, focused on B2B, focused on maybe some kind of business services uh, and, uh, you know, some kind of SaaS business models. You tend not to see so much, at least historically, sustainability, environment, uh, you know, CO2, green, all these topics. I mean, by nature, they somehow maybe uh, it at, le at least feels to me that they are a little bit lower in the kind of focus areas for the East European startups. Have you seen any change in that? Or? Yeah, I think, I mean, the, the explanation is obvious because, you know, if you come from a poor family, you know, you still, you, the first thing you need to achieve is to make sure you feed your family. You buy them real estate, you feed them, buy them clothes, ensure that your mom has insurance and all of that stuff, right? So environment comes like way, way after all of these basic necessities, like Maslow pyramid, what we learned, you know, in macroeconomics and microeconomics at, at university. Uh, but um, I think, uh, so it's like old money versus new money. So I think Eastern Europe in that way has been like more newer money versus Western European older money where, you know, people start actually thinking about the home where they live and caring about that home. I think uh, the new money is sort of less conscious about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's natural. So mm -hmm. there is nothing wrong about it, um, nothing bad. Um, I think that uh, in general, and, and it's evol evolving. So I think it's the average level of uh, uh, welfare uh, in Eastern Europe is like catching up and growing, it will be a natural trend that people will start thinking a lot more about, you know, the environment, and the homes where they are living. Mm. Um, and uh, I think, um, so that's number one. Number two, so uh, on the founder side, number two is more on the capital side, right? So if you look at, um, you know, the, the type of capital who's supporting, like, let's say Sequoia is... Uh, you know, advertising everywhere that, you know, their money comes from non-governmental organizations. So predominantly, they take non-governmental money that they're then investing into startups. And that determines the length of, you know, period that they're prepared to hold the capital, but also things that they're, you know, sort of led to do because people give the money still, right? They, they, they sort of have a, an agenda, right, in a way. Uh, in a way, you know, you know. Mm. so if you are like ourselves, we're financed mostly like by family offices, we have some, we're starting to have institutional investors, but most of these institutions, they're still like more commercial for them. You know, it's more about IRR and return and less about the like environmental agenda. And we're in a way, you know, you know, we're in the middle, we're the mm. middleman, right? We want to give money to founders, but we also have the, you know, the, the, the capital that we, need to, we have fiduciary duties towards these people as well. Mm. So the more the more we ourselves become institutional, the more we take money from like endowments of the universities. In Eastern Europe, the, none of the universities have such endowments as like Harvard or Stanford or anybody, right? Nobody has billions of dollars, so like you know, tens of billions of dollars to invest into startups, right? So once the, and it takes time to accumulate. So once this also starts changing, wealth becomes a, 
wealth accumulates, it will determine different types of agenda, right? Uh, that's why we launched Flashpoint Cares because we want to recycle this agenda. We want to we want to give back ourselves, you know, what we made to make sure that these people also stand up and they move and we change the slowly, slowly we move that direction. Mm. But uh, have, uh, you say, you know, overall picture is that slowly, slowly the region is moving. But have you actually seen kind of physical evidence? Uh, that we are seeing uh, po- startups in Eastern Europe popping up, which are focused on, I don't know, climate tech or green tech or, I, I mean, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. We have seen actually several dozen companies that are like thinking that are going for agriculture and green tech, and yes, absolutely. Uh, mm. It's not uh, uh, thinking about clean energy. I mean, for us, um, some of these areas are more technical, like right. So for us as an investor. You know, we are not as technical and product driven, but absolutely, there, 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 there are many companies like we actually do look at agriculture and agri-tech. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of things that are happening there. Uh, we just have not have we have not invested into any of these mm-hmm. companies, but it is not nothing to do like with the companies. So they, mm-hmm. they continued. What has to do with our focus on you know what, how we understand and how we can contribute. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, there are, there are, there are absolutely, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We, we're, we're seeing some of these businesses appearing. Yeah, I mean, also in Estonia, I think we've seen, I don't know, half a dozen at least startups popping up, which are somehow related to carbon, for example, carbon um, CO2 uh, decarbonization, the CO2 Accounting, trade, and so on. Yes, 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 Marketplaces, we've seen as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. No, it's slowly appearing. It's not a massive trend. Mm. Because I don't think that there is a, there is no like demand for it in mm. this part of the world that much, right? So yeah. in 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 but Europe and in in the US, there is like a demand. Mm. There is clear demand by corporations, mm. by governments. Mm. In Eastern Europe, there is no demand. Mm. So companies, but, just founders mm. themselves, they go. Yeah, there is no local demand. But as as we started the discussion, you know, Eastern European companies tend to be countries tend to be small. The companies have to be born global. They are starting to do things from the scratch for the That's Western true. markets. Exactly. Uh, but st- slowly starting to wrap up, uh, you know, looking into this year, what are your kind of big focus areas? I mean, in addition to somehow managing the, you know, impacts of the war in Ukraine. Well, we can't manage, you know, anything related to the war. We just have to wait until it is over. Uh, but luckily, we're not like impacted uh, in our business uh Uh, directly uh, that much of course people etc things we discussed um but uh, the focus here is for the for the for this year so you know we've been consistent in our strategy since 2012 and we continue the same strategy so i don't plan to change anything in our investment strategy i think uh, you know the the difficulty of investment businesses is that you cannot like see the like you know my mother always asks me okay so how are things you know you know how you know has it been successful quarter for you i'm like mom listen you know it's in five years from now i'll tell you if this was a successful <laughs> quarter or not um so it's a it's it's a longer term cycle and if you change your strategy if you change your approach too much or too often then you can't like understand whether you're doing it or the right thing or not so we we stick to our strategy we Uh, continue supporting early stage founders um we continue supporting uh them building uh, b2b software companies um we try to develop ourselves and be more helpful 
like one of the things we're thinking about is to maybe open an office in the US as well, uh, because like a third or maybe like even half of our portfolio, they do end up um, slowly, you know, uh, selling more in the US and like relocating physically or building more presence. So they need us there a lot. Um, we have ideas about being like bring, building some value add units like in HR, for example. I think it could be more helpful in mm-hmm. the coordinating hiring efforts or within our portfolio companies, uh, or maybe even like helping them to uh, hire people in like some of these uh, Western markets. Um, so there are things that we want to grow and uh, develop. Uh, but uh, for us, you know, we were lucky to raise also uh, before even like the turbulence started in general, even though there were, because also there was some market meltdown starting in like October, November, when the you know capital markets started mm-hmm. to shut down and there was like a lot of uh, a bit of a turmoil. Um, I, with interest rates rising, I, I think, and the, like, you know, with energy prices increasing and all of this stuff and energy energy situation in Europe, I think that, you know, disposable incomes will decrease, right? Profits mm-hmm. of corporations will decrease. So we, I think we're on the verge of this like global correction in a major way. It, it has to happen, right? It has been like, we've been in the bull market for, for, for a decade. Mm-hmm. So now some corrections will happen. Uh, for some sectors, some industries, maybe not like every, everything will correct, but you know, certain areas um, of the capital markets will correct in terms of asset pricing and valuations. Mm. Um, so, so in, in this type of environment, I think we recommend our portfolio companies to raise money as soon as possible. So if they're raising money now, they should like keep raising and make sure they raise. Close, if they're not raising fast, money, yeah. yeah, they need to go out and start raising right mm-hmm. now as fast as they can. While valuation is less important, I think it's more important to capitalize yourself for the next like couple of years to make sure you have capital mm. uh, because most of them are loss making because they grow, they add new customers, and they need to have liquidity. Mm. So if you if you're running out of money in August September, you must run and raise money now. Mm. You, you can't uh, you can't afford to be in that situation because there is a lot of uncertainty. So that's what we focus our agenda on: supporting founders, making sure they. St- stable businesses, well-capitalized, relations are less important. It's more important to be stable. Mm. Focus on your priorities also. Refocus your priorities. Maybe you don't need to do 10 things. Do five things or three things. Mm. Uh, don't be, so I think you need to be aggressive in the competitive environment, but you also want to survive in the end because if there is a correction that could happen, you want to make sure that you, you, you are prepared in advance. Uh, because we have companies like in covid uh, unfortunately, I mean, all survived, all great, uh, all fine. We managed to, you know, cut the cost and secure positions. But we had companies that raised money just before COVID, for example, in let's say October, November, and they went on the hiring spree and they they like because you know so they hired a ton of people until like March for like five six months. They've been hiring, 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 hiring. So that's a cost, and then you cannot fire people like overnight, right? Mm-hmm. Because there are like local regulations, etc. You need to give severance packages and everything. Mm. So and then you fire people, right? So we have another like, several companies that went, yeah. and that's another cost. And then you raised your round, and you lost like half of it, like a lot of it, because you went through this like, mm. a, like roller coaster, right? Yeah. And that's highly like unfortunate. Mm. And that's why I think it's important. Um, that happens. I think the yeah, cautiousness is probably a good uh, guideline for you know startups in this year, and probably focus. Uh, what you mentioned is a really good uh, keyword. 
and uh, you know fo- focus on what you do to make it a success story thanks alex for your time today it's you know thank good, you good luck join us again for the next episode thank you for listening if you like the show please give us a good rating and leave the feedback in your podcast player so others will find it too we will be back next week turn on to nature backed podcast Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's no, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big touchdown. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives' activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Electric acid.